As I bear witness to some of the worst atrocities carried out in the name of war that I've come across in my 35 years of living, a concept that has lingered in my thoughts is that of secondary trauma and compassion fatigue. In this episode, I'm joined by Rebecca Lehman, a therapist specializing in these very issues. We'll delve into the relevance of her work, especially during times when we extend ourselves to care for others. Whether it's through caregiving, writing, volunteering, activism, or teaching, the risk of neglecting our own needs and experiencing burnout is ever-present. Rebecca's expertise lies in helping those who support others. And in the next 30 minutes, we'll unfold the nuances of her work and explore methods for maintaining, not pausing, our ability to support and stand up for others. Also, if you stick around until the end of the interview, Rebecca will graciously lead us through a meditation. I hope you find it as beneficial as I did. I am so happy to have you on today. And thanks for I having am, me. <laughs> I wanted to hear you if before we really kick off the interview, whether you can give a quick introduction of yourself to the listeners. Sure. Yeah, my name is Rebecca. I'm a clinical health psychologist and a trauma therapist. I live and work in Berlin, mostly online. Um, yeah, I'm German. I would say East German, actually, <laughs> because I was raised by parents who were very much involved in the system. Um, so I think that's always something interesting to reflect on where we actually come from and what else i practice yoga um, and mindfulness and i think it has a big influence on my work too and i focus on working with people on in helping professions um, that's where my my passion lies to make sure that those who care for others are also taking good care of themselves and is that then also the majority of your clients? Like, will they be in different types of helping professions or is it more diverse than, than that? It's very interesting. I think it's, it's quite diverse. Um, and I've been thinking about why that is. And I think people feel very called in this way. Um, you know, when I say that people in helping professions, they're very focused on other people's needs instead of their own and they yeah. put their own well-being very low on the list of priorities and I find that the clients that come to me not all of them are in the helping profession but a lot of them identify with this that okay like I've been putting myself last or very low on on my list of priorities and I want to change that right so they can be carrying a mental load due to other factors than being a nurse or being a therapist or Yes. Or so on. It can be, you know, that they're caring for everyone in their family's needs or... For example, or in their relationships, yeah. right? That they put, each, yeah. put themselves last and always look, okay, like, what does my partner want? <laughs> Let's make sure that, you know, everybody's happy before I, I check in with myself. So, yeah, it's quite diverse and I, I enjoy it. And you mentioned that you're, you're a trauma therapist as well. Um, can you... Explain what that entails, what that is, trauma therapy. Sure, it basically means that I'm trained um, to be very aware of the role that trauma plays in our lives and, you know, the trauma that we've been through, 
um, how that translates into the present moment, let's say. And um, I have, I work, let's say, with this lens, but also particularly for this demographic of people in helping professions. It's a very useful knowledge and background to have and the skills and, you know, the, the tools that, um, that I have from that because it's a risk group for what is called secondary trauma, which means that we can become traumatized by only listening to the stories that others tell us or by, um, yeah, again and again, hearing the traumatic material, as we call it, um, what happened to others. Uh, we can also start to develop uh, symptoms that are very similar to, to post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. So in this regard, it's very, very useful um, that I have this focus. Yeah. I actually remember that as something that really struck me when I was a psychology student, um, understanding secondary trauma and then it showing up as much as it did um, when I started practicing mm -hmm. and, and seeing, for instance, that, yeah, they also didn't even, many of my clients experiencing secondary trauma without knowing that that was what they were going through, told me they didn't even feel they really had their right to feel such pain because, you know, they didn't experience that horrific event. It was their sister, it was their brother, it was their, you know, someone else, or, or they were like witnessing it. And yeah, figuring out that that can be a really isolated position mm -hmm. and the helping professionals not readily um, having a focus on the witnesses on the close witnesses of traumatic events mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting important phenomenon yes and I think it can be a very lonely place too and I just I think it's great that you learned about this already in university because I don't think it's always the case that we that it's included in our training. So it's great that you came into working with his clients with this awareness already, right? That yeah. it might yeah. be an issue. But can I just clarify, so like secondary trauma, would you consider it like an umbrella term that both entails the type of trauma experienced if a person witnesses a car crash, for instance, but also the secondary trauma from being in a helping profession where you're just hearing a lot of these stories day in and day out, you are hearing about traumatic events. And, and so then that leads to compassion fatigue. Yeah, I feel the difference is not that big depending on, you know, is this your client who's telling you or is this your sister-in-law or, you know, whoever. Yeah. But I think it's more about the more you're exposed you are, which, you know, psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists maybe are much more prone to this, um, is the duration and how often yeah. you hear it, how regular it is in your life, right? If it's a one-time event, like, you know, you hear something that happened to your sister-in-law, you will have more time to process, more time, you know, to deal with it, because it's not like, okay, 
in an hour the next client will come and we'll tell them about their their story right but you have more time to to adjust and to let it settle into your body also and to yeah to work through it um yeah, yeah i feel just people in helping professions they're more at risk because they hear it you know constantly let's say yeah that makes a lot of sense so it almost sounds like you knew straight away from from learning about secondary trauma and and doing this training that this was something that you'd bring into your private practice work or um yes did it take a while i think so there was like a little bit of a development um i got very curious about the topic and i looked okay are there a lot of parallels um you know regarding how much our focus is trained to be let's say outside of ourselves toward the needs for others anticipating them right like knowing what others need even before they maybe say it right before they voice it um yeah. and this little regard for our own well-being and i saw there's there's so much parallels and i think that really got me got me interested in in the topic and i think this realization that okay i love working with people and i see it as something meaningful and something valuable in my life and i kind of saw my future unfold and i really didn't like what i saw right i didn't want to have to stop working in my field at one point because i'm i'm going to drop out due to burnout or something like that right um i didn't want to feel like i'm sacrificing my myself and my well-being for this line of work i you know i started to look for ways where yeah i can be well and take care of other people at the same time um yeah. but yeah i actually didn't find a lot of resources back then specifically for our population like this you know population of helpers let's say um and um yeah we have a quite unique range of challenges i think so yeah i decided to eventually to become one of that resources my myself i feel we do such important work in this world and it's a real problem that um yeah how little we are appreciated both by the systems we work in but also individually and yeah i guess learning about all of this kind of kindled a fire in me <laughs> yeah and i guess this this focus of your work also becomes especially pertinent especially relevant in in a world where there are more and more f- uh, quick fix solutions to mental health problems which warrants fast-paced therapists you know like the what you could call like the mcdonald's of therapy but people seldomly stop to think about for there to be a quick fix there also often will have to be a stressed out therapist Mm -hmm. doing 50 sessions a week i mean therapists feel pressure to take on that many sessions in order to have a decent wage because yeah the company's offering this type Mm -hmm. of um, you know round-the-clock therapy will yeah yeah and I think it's a very important point because like this whole work it's not only about ourselves right it's not about saying okay you know you just have to learn how to take a bubble bath once a week (laughs) like this is not it at all but it also looks at okay 
the systems that I live in, that I work in, how do they maybe hinder, you know, my own well-being? How do they support it? What needs to be done there? You know, is there something to do there or there isn't? And this is what makes me feel so helpless, right? Like it has both these things, of course, but this is mm -hmm. like one of these important things that um, you have to also take into consideration the system you live and work in in order to find out, you know, what isn't working for me and and how can I get better? Yeah. Can I just say one thing to that, sure. uh, which is I um, finished reading the book, We've Had a Hundred Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse by James Hillman and Michael Ventura. And they're just like having, they're having conversations about what the title implies mm -hmm. and, and then Hillman he said look at a person's schedule your schedule is one of your biggest defenses <laughs> and I was like I was reminded of that that you know sometimes sometimes I think therapy is so focused also on like just like inner work that they fail to look at some really concrete things mm -hmm that make up your daily life, such as, you know, how are you scheduling your time? Like, are there any breaks? Like, are you constantly staying busy mm -hmm. to avoid what then, you know, like, um, yes. yeah. And I think it's very important, especially for people who are self-employed, right? Like what mm -hmm. kind of system do I create for myself? Am I a very harsh boss <laughs> to myself, yeah. right? Yeah. Am I compassionate toward myself? Do I, um, yeah, set up my life in a way that serves my well-being or, you know, and I think a lot of people who come, for example, out of employment into self-employment, I heard a lot of stories and I think I experienced some of it myself as well, that yeah. you start to create patterns that are actually not working, but, yeah. you know, you start to realize, okay, actually I have the power to make some of these decisions, so <laughs> why not make them? <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've worked in Berlin like you for seven years, and I don't know the statistics around this, but it seems to be a mecca of freelancers, mm -hmm. of self-employed people. So I I mean I almost only had clients who were self-employed, so this was such a big topic. But yeah, it just creates for a lot of flexibility, but with that flexibility, the self-employed life or the freelance lifestyle also entails so much like risk of burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems. I think a lot of confrontation around how am I treating myself? Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. And 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 topics like this. So it's a very I think it's a path on its own to, you know, when you're self employed to, you can learn so much about yourself. There's so many mirrors constantly all the time. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I also want to get to the nitty gritty of your therapeutic practice because on your profile it says that you work not just trauma-informed but also in a culturally sensitive and, and feminist way so as I'm curious to to hear like what this means and, and also how it shapes your mm -hmm. your work your therapeutic practice sure so helping professions um, especially the ones that are not paid well enough or systematically still women's work, right? 
Yeah, um, I read that around two thirds of the global care workforce, so that's paid and unpaid work, are women. And women actually wow. experience 53% more stress than men, with the difference being particularly big between the ages of 35 and 45. So also when a lot of people have small kids, right? Oh no. <laughs> Is that your age group? I, ha I have the worst to come. So it's like now, now hell will begin. <laughs> the, the hell, the gates to hell are opening. <laughs> Or the gates to the very special opportunity. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So yeah, the caregiving roles in our families, you know, taking care of children, of maybe elderly, of, of sick um, family members, the tasks around that are still um, very much distributed in an unequal way. Um, so we have to be very conscious about creating a fair distribution of relationships in our family. It's like almost still going against the grain of what we've been taught. And, you know, we're talking here in countries in Germany and, and in Denmark, where I would think feminism has come quite a way compared to mm -hmm. some other countries in this world. And still it's a constant battle, right? If we're conscious of it. So this can be seen also on a very personal level, like to ask ourselves, like who was the caregiver in the family I grew up in? What was taught to me about the role, about my role in this world as a woman, for example, when it came to taking care of others or as a man as well, right? Um, okay. Where was my my mother on her list of her priorities, where am I on my list of my own priorities. So mm -hmm. I think there's still like an immense pressure on women until this day, like we're very much encouraged to ignore our own boundaries, to please everyone around us, to make sure everybody's taken care of, you know, only when everyone is happy, then we get to rest, if ever. <laughs> so I think that's very harmful, um, not only to ourselves, but also um, I think there's a risk of becoming resentful toward others and for also for other people to not be able to step in and step up into roles that maybe, you know, they would enjoy as well. So we really have yeah. to look at the system around us, how it supports us. Um, yes, and maybe similarly, you know, connected to the feminism is also um, becoming aware of the culture we grew up in, right? Like how patriarchal is it? How much is the machismo present? How do they influence our stress level, let's say? Yeah. Um, how do the structures around us affect our well-being, maybe contribute to, to burnout? So yeah, as a therapist, I'm very aware of that this all still differs depending on which country you come from, which culture you grew up in, right? The expectations that were put on you, by your family, by your peers, society, religion, will be very yeah. different, right? For everyone, very, it's very individual. And I also have you know, the lived experience of having lived abroad for, for many years in different places. So I think that's very helpful when yeah. I speak to my clients who come from different backgrounds. Um, so just being mindful about all this, how it influences us, I think it's just very important. And what about this connection between the mind and the body and the way that you think of this and, and how it informs your therapeutic work um, mm -hmm. and how it can, yeah, benefit individuals seeking help? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I think by now it's quite well known that, that stress and particularly chronic stress often settles in, in the body. For example, there are 
areas that we consider even typical when, when it's about stress, right? Like people often have tense shoulders or they get headaches when they're stressed or digestive issues, back pain, high blood pressure, stuff like this. Um, but of course, it can be very individual as well. So it's very, I think, telling. There's a lot of information, like how our bodies react to the stressors in our lives, right? Like it can really much inform us to learn how the stressors affect us. So in my work specifically, that could look like identifying the areas of tension in your body, right? To look at, okay, when do these bodily reactions pop up? Like in reaction to a certain stressor, for example, or what, what is this reaction your body trying to tell you? If it's maybe pointing toward a need that isn't met, um, things like this. And I felt quite helpful for my clients because they can create an awareness about this connection, what's happening like on the outside and what's happening on the inside. And the body is quite graspable in this way, let's say. They can observe how their bodies respond in different situations. And we can then talk about those, those situations more specifically and try to diffuse those, those stressors. And I mean, there's a very practical level, of course, as well, how you can work on that. And, and when you said that you do a lot of mindfulness and yoga, do you also bring that into your practice room or is that for yourself? Like, do you, you know, do a lot of guided meditation with your clients for instance and would you even like sometimes do something somatic like more body oriented mm -hmm. so to answer that maybe part of the question i practice it myself very religiously i would say uh, it's kind of my anchor in the day my, my morning yoga practice um and in my work with with clients of course it depends very much on their needs. I don't believe that everybody has to do yoga to be well, of course. Like we all have to find what, what works for us. But if they're interested in it, um, I could could bring it in. But the mindfulness part is definitely something that is um, I bring in more often that is very helpful, helpful tool. Um, yeah, when it comes to this connection between body and mind. Um, so let's say for yoga, for example, we could start working with the body on a practical level if that's something the client is interested in. Mm -hmm. um, the tension in the shoulders, for example, that I mentioned, right? Um, we can see how incorporating like a movement practice as part of their self-care can be helpful for them and look at exercises specifically targeted for this area of their body. I'm also trained in trauma-sensitive yoga, which is you know, specifically helpful um, as we said, for people who work with traumatized populations. Yeah. Um, and the mindfulness, it's in and of itself already a part of the yoga practice. Um, and I think the very, yeah, like a gold nugget there is in the mindfulness that it's so non-judgmental. It's such a non-judgmental way of exploring and experiencing how we, you know, the situations we find ourselves in to stay with our feelings also, to, to learn to observe them instead of trying to push them away. Like it really gives us a chance to, to pause and reflect before, before reacting. And this is something, you know, as you mentioned, with the guided practices, I often bring, if it's something that resonates with my clients, um, I often bring like guided practices either in the sessions we try it and I might send them a recording to do between the sessions, um, things nice. like this. And 
Yeah, I feel the mindfulness is definitely helpful when we're very much affected by the suffering of, of other people, when this touches us very deeply. Um, but yeah, of course, also helpful when you're in conflict with somebody, right? Your colleagues or your boss or anybody else in the system around you it can really help you pause. We wrote about whether you'd be up for doing a, a mindfulness meditation. And I actually don't remember whether whether she said yes and, you know, how how much time we'd then... Um... <laughs> I brought something. Um, I think it would take maybe around seven minutes without making promises. But <laughs> Amazing, yeah, if you'd like, I'd we can do love it. love that. I'd mm -hmm. really love that. You want to start? Welcome to the self-compassion practice inspired by the three-center check-in from the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. This practice is a way to include mindfulness into a challenging day or situation. It gives you the chance to pause and reflect and regulate yourself instead of simply reacting. This makes it much easier to break down a moment of stress or overwhelm into its parts. Your bodily sensations, your thoughts, and your feelings. To begin, come to a comfortable seat in which you can let your breath flow naturally. Perhaps you'd like to sit up a bit more instead of leaning back. Place your feet on the ground if you're on a chair. Simply shift around until you find a seat in which you can breathe in deeply. I'll give you a moment to get settled in. If you wish, you can close your eyes. And if that doesn't feel safe today, simply find a place to focus your gaze on softly in front of you, past your nose. Take a deep breath in and out. Inhale deeply and exhale completely. One more time, inhale all the way and exhale. Let your breath return to a natural rhythm as you slowly arrive in the present moment, in the space we're creating here together. And I invite you to just take a moment to notice how you're here today, how you're really doing right now. Begin by asking yourself, how's my body? Is it tired or awake, tense or relaxed? What bodily sensations do you notice? Perhaps you can observe physical sensations in your body like temperature, vibration or tingling. It's also common to notice areas of tension in your body, for example your jaw, your shoulders or your abdomen. But it may be a different area for you. 
Just be curious about what's there. And if you can't notice anything, that's completely okay too. If you observe any tension in your body, invite it to gently relax, to soften, to soothe. And perhaps let go of it a little as you exhale. Next, ask yourself, how is my mind right now? Is it busy or calm? Curious or judgmental? Again, observe whatever arises with an openness and curiosity. Consider the idea that you are not your thoughts, but so much more. Notice that you're able to observe your thoughts as if from the outside, which means that you can be free from them too. And lastly, ask yourself, how am I on an emotional level? How is my heart? Are there any emotions present right now that you can name? Remember, there's no need to judge. How do you really feel? And notice if the feelings that come up perhaps connect to a sensation in your body. Often when we notice how we feel, we can observe our body becoming tense. If that's the case, invite your body to relax and soften again the next time you exhale. And lastly, invite your attention to land on your breath once again. Notice how it feels to inhale. Notice how it feels to exhale. Without your active doing, your body breathes for you. In and out. Simply notice what it's like to be aware of this present moment. If you like, you can gift yourself a moment of kindness, perhaps by putting a hand on your heart or touching any other place in your body that wants to be held right now. 
or you could simply tell yourself some words of kindness. May I be kind to myself. May I be free from all suffering. May I be at peace. Or whatever else arises. Whenever you're ready, take a deep breath in and out. To slowly come back to the space. Remember that you can return to this practice whenever you need it. Open your eyes if they were closed to let the outer world enter once again. Thank you so much for joining me and for making time to tend to yourself today. May this practice be of benefit to you and everyone around you.